Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up to date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. Today, I'll be speaking with Sylvina Irwin, PhD, and Lisa Bloom, PsyD, who are both licensed clinical psychologists in the Los Angeles area. They're both certified emotionally focused couples therapy therapists, certified supervisors, and Sylvina is also a certified EFT trainer. They co-founded the EFT Resource Center in Pasadena, which is a group private practice. Lisa's work includes individual, couple, and family therapy, and Sylvina specializes in working with survivors of trauma and relationship distress. Lisa works with both gay, lesbian, queer, and straight individuals and couples, and with adults forming families in novel and creative ways. Savina and Lisa developed and facilitate workshops for couples who want to deepen and enrich their sexual connection. And they both lead consultation groups for mental health professionals all over the country who are refining their skills in integrating sexuality into their couples therapy work. Savina also offers masterclasses on working with trauma and couples therapy and workshops on vicarious trauma of therapists, first responders, and the legal and medical community. And since the beginning of her career, Lisa has been involved in teaching, research, and practice in the field of sexuality. Let's listen to the interview. So hi, welcome, Lisa and Sylvina. Uh, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. a pleasure. Wonderful to be here with you, Keith. Yeah. So I uh, w- took a training recently on uh, motion-focused couples therapy and sex therapy that you put on through the, the I think it was the EFT Center of Atlanta. And it was a, a three-day training and it was really interesting and I really enjoyed it. So I reached out to learn more about your work and and about, you know, just, you know, your work with couples and also particularly your, your integration of sex therapy and couples therapy, because I think it is something that is uh, oftentimes disjointed. Um, but f- before we even kind of get into that, I, I always love to hear people's story and kind of how they got into doing what they're doing or the evolution of their thinking or so on. So um, yeah, maybe you could start out with, with that for, for whoever wants to go first or however you want to do it together. Okay, I'll, I'll start us off. Um, thank you so much for having us, Keith. Um, I, I think that a lot of our story is similar for both me and Sylvina um, in that we both had you know, really good graduate school training in a lot of different family therapy approaches, but not specifically couples therapy. And I think you know, we've, we've bonded over the fact that both of us in our earlier years of practice, when we were working with families, because both of us started out predominantly as adolescent therapists. And of course, when you're working with adolescents, you also are working with the family. Um, that you know, we would often find that a lot of the issues in the family that were affecting the children really had roots and origins in the couple. And so starting to work with the couple, we were both using, you know, all the best, you know, family therapy approaches we had, but finding that it was a little helter skelter, you know, a little here and there and try this and try that. And so around the same point in our evolution as a family therapist, we both started feeling like, huh, we really need something a little more structured, a little more targeted than these approaches that we've had so far when we're working specifically with the couple. And um, I, and I think both of us had heard a couple of, you know, various videotapes and podcasts that uh, Susan Johnson had done. She's the founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy, EFT. 
And uh, we, we took the big plunge together and decided to go down to San Diego and get trained by Sue in the four day initial training that is the sort of entry point for emotionally focused therapy. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'll let you sort of pick up the story from there. Oh yeah, well, you know, it just right away just really transformed the way we thought about couples and families and the bonds between them. And, um, you know, EFT is an attachment-based model and it's an integration, it's humanistic, it's experiential, it's systemic. Um, And it just brought all of these themes together in one cohesive, coherent model with a map. (laughs) So um, quite, uh, quite immediately, actually, we realized that we had found our model and we did the deep dive, took our advanced training, and we began running then workshops for couples, not only seeing couples in our private practices, but also running workshops called Hold Me Tight. Uh, for couples. And that's more of an educational um, model where we uh, couples do exercises based on emotionally focused therapy and on the book, based on the book, Hold Me Tight. And in there, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. Um, In that workshop, there is also a section, if you will, on couple addressing their sexual relationship. And we came to we came to find repeatedly that there just simply was not enough time in these workshops to address sex. And you couldn't address sex without addressing all of the other emotional elements that uh, would grab couples and really throw them into a lurch. (laughs) So we ended up in a place where we said, okay, we really have to figure this piece out and dedicate more time for a couple to be able to work on their sexual relationship. And um, we then expanded our study to immerse ourselves in understanding sex and sexuality and that whole body of practice which then (laughs) we ended up being able to integrate them and saying, okay, well, sex and attachment, they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and EFT and this model of psychotherapy is actually the perfect model to be able to help a couple address their sexual relationship. So that's a bit how we started to merge into the world of sex and sexuality and, um, you know, historically, these two fields have been quite disparate. You know, you, you are either a couples therapist or you are a sex therapist. There's very little um, out there that integrates them both. So Lisa and I started to merge them in meaningful ways and developed another workshop that was all about the integration of a couple's emotional world and relational world with their sexual world. So that's a little bit about the arc. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Well, very simpatico, actually. That's how I also got into couples therapy as my focus on teenagers and families. And then, you know, oftentimes the couples were really struggling. And particularly, you know, in the Cowan's research, they found that after the birth of the first child, the couple's relationship satisfaction significantly decreases over time. And also the Gottman study. So oftentimes, as we're seeing the family is when they have teenagers, their relationship has significantly deteriorated. And so, you know, that, that aspect, like you're saying, that kind of natural progression to realizing that you need skills in this area to work with couples is so important. Um, and, And that's great too, as you're kind of saying about kind of that evolution of doing the work with couples, which I think that, you know, 
for many clinicians who are training couples therapy, you know, sex is kind of talked about a little bit here and there, but it's oftentimes kind of like an ancillary or once they're getting along better or so on, then the sex life will get better and such. But, but like you're saying, there is kind of this significant disconnect between couples therapy and sex therapy, and it is an important integration and, and so on. And, and uh, I, I'm also so interested too, particularly with EFT, because EFT is so process oriented that, you know, oftentimes we're not kind of, you know, focusing on let's talk about this content today, you know, dealing with the money or the kids or the sex or so on, but really kind of working with the couple's process and, and really the, what, what we call an EFT is the cycle, that idea of that cycle, you know, whether they're talking about sex, money, kids, or like where to go grocery shopping or like who put the dishes away, it's the same cycle. And so kind of working with that. So I thought, you know, it was really interesting to take the training and looking at how really kind of, you know, kind of integrating working with uh, sex and couples um, is so important. And just like you're saying, yeah, attachment, it, it's really all about attachment. Um, great. So yeah, tell, tell me more about kind of, yeah, your, you, you know, we can talk a little bit more about EFT for folks that don't know EFT and kind of a little bit of a grounding in that and then kind of get into the, the work with sex or anything yeah, else you want to add. Yeah, maybe it would be helpful to just give a as short a description as we can of EFT so that folks have some sense of it. And then we can talk more specifically about how we do the sexuality work in the EFT frame. So EFT is a intended as a short term uh, approach to working with couples in distress. And it is an attachment based approach that is also systemic and humanistic. It has its origins in Gestalt therapy and Rogerian counseling, um, as well as some of the family therapy systems. And it really understands getting pattern of stress or what we when they are having experiences that are triggering for them a sense of not being as safely connected to their partner and in that feeling of loss of connection, loss of contact, loss of safety with their partner, often happening sort of below the surface, although sometimes consciously, partners have just defensive responses. They have ways of coping with that distress. And so I may really be missing you, but I, it's kind of vulnerable to come and say that I'm missing you. So instead, I might criticize you that you're never home anymore. And so that's, a, that's an example of a way that we sometimes respond out of our self-protective responses. It's easier to be angry than it is to be vulnerable and sad and lonely. So we sometimes respond out of these protective responses that then trigger our partners to have their own protective responses. What do you mean I'm never home? Don't you know how much I'm working to provide for this family? So these protective responses kind of do battle with each other. And before the couple knows it, they're stuck in a negative spiral. And they've lost, at least temporarily, the ability to really speak to each other from the more vulnerable place that lets their needs really be known. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of what we do in couples therapy is really try to get a handle on what is the cycle that's happening, exactly how is each person responding and what are they thinking when they're responding that way? And what are they feeling underneath when they're responding that way? And help them see sort of the tennis match that's happening between them, you know, where the ball just gets batted back and forth, but there's not really a lot of 
coming together to address what's happening. We help them see that cycle. We help them stop it. We help them really understand the deeper emotions and be able to speak from a more soft, vulnerable place to their partner and ask for more of what they need. And we help choreograph those interactions in a way that then the couple is better able to really connect and communicate with each other and then practice, practice, practice doing that at home. Mm-hmm. That's not all of EFT, but that's sort of a quick overview. So I want to invite you to add any important elements that I missed there. Oh, sure. I mean, I think you did you know, a really lovely um, sort of overview Um, I think just to kind of distill it then to its essence, you know, that in EFT, we're helping couples shape a more secure bond, right? That in distress, as Lisa was saying, attachment strategies get mobilized, you know, again, anger, criticism, or shutting down and retreating. Um, And what we're helping couples do is in these moments of distress, when they really need some connection, actually, um, we are helping them send clearer signals to their partners in those moments of disconnect to bring their partners alongside them and get care and comfort when they need it the most. So we don't problem solve with couples. We're not helping them develop negotiation skills or communication skills. We're helping them send clear emotional signals when they're in distress so that they can be more responsive and engaged and accessible to one another. And when couples can do that, when they, when we can help them shape a more secure connection, they're actually much more flexible in their problem solving. They can um, be more resourced really to navigate the complexities of life. So we're focusing on the bond as opposed to the content problem that brings couples in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That I think would be in a nutshell. EFT. <laughs> yeah, and one way I think about it too is that you know the the person is engaging in the behavior that makes most sense to them. Like you're saying, like the person might be critical and say, "Oh, you're always working," or so on. And there's a hope that the other person's going to say, "Oh gosh, I'm sorry, I won't work as much anymore." You know, because it's a thing that they're doing to either gain closeness or prevent distance. Or the person says, "What do you mean? I'm working all this, you know, for our family and so on." That their partner might say, "Oh." It, it makes sense why you're gone so much. You know, I understand now, but it, it ends up being the opposite of what the other person needs. And rather than moving them closer, it moves them farther apart. But like you're saying, those turning to the other vulnerably and saying, I really miss you. I feel alone. Um, that feels too vulnerable. And but what we do is help as couples are able to turn more vulnerably, they engage their partner's empathy. And their partner says, oh, gosh, I don't want you to be alone and is able to really shift that cycle or that kind of dance so that they can have that more secure bonding. And, and the way I think about it, too, is to the extent that the other is responsive to talk about our bad day and talk about that thing that they said that upset us or whatever it might be. And the other person will respond and will come out closer from that conversation. And also to the extent that we feel loved, accepted and respected in the relationship. When those two pieces are there, then we have that kind of secure connection. Um, but when we don't, we get into those cycles or patterns. That's a great, great description. And just to add for any listeners who may not be familiar with EFT and are hearing that we don't help couples solve their problems, I want to just clarify that for a moment. We don't focus on that in the initial stages of EFT, because what we're really focused on is what both of you have so beautifully described about really securing and strengthening the bond between them. 
in a later stage of EFT, when the couple is able to communicate with each other from this different place, from this more vulnerable place, the ability to send clear signals and ask for what they're needing from their partner, that's the time in which we support the couple then in dealing with you know, the in-laws, the kids, the house chores, the money, all of that. Because from that much more secure and connected place, they become much better at problem solving and often don't need so much intervention from the therapy or the therapist because they're now really good at talking to each other and distilling down what they both most need from the other to, to solve whatever problem they need to solve. So that does happen in EFT therapy. I don't wanna leave people with the impression that it doesn't, but it happens in a later stage when they're just well-situated to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the big joke sometimes is stage three goes so quick because once they've got that secure bond, they come in like, oh, yeah, we talked about the financial <laughs> stuff or like, oh, we That's talked right. about the kids or, you know, like, oh, the sex life is going better somewhat. But I think, you know, again, on to this next point that there's a lot more to the sex life that's a little bit more harder to kind of just do on your own than maybe dealing with the finances of kids or so on. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You That we often find that in EFT couples therapy, Many times couples sexual relationship will improve, um, but many times it doesn't, right? And we've kind of come to this recognition and to make this explicit, you know, that you can't necessarily talk your way into a better sexual relationship, right? Sex is embodied, <laughs> right? So that's, that's where um, there is more of an integration with uh, sex therapy right? And the, and the work of sexuality, sex and sexuality with EFT couples therapy. And it, and it begins by even just being able to talk about it with our couples. I mean, I feel like we can even just start right there. Um, that so many couples therapists, because of lack of training, because of um, these two very disparate fields of sex therapy and couples therapy, because of our, you know, um, internalized messages of, can we even talk about sex? We often don't even ask clients about their sexual relationship. So we can just even start right there, right? Of can, can we begin to ask our couples, tell us about your sexual relationship? Um, is it something that you find uh, you're satisfied with, right? And that in and of itself can be a difficult bridge to cross for some therapists and for some clients. You know, I'd, I'd like to share, we've done some just really informal surveying, nothing official, but when we do trainings for therapists who are wanting to learn more about how to integrate sex and sexuality into their couple's work, um, we've surveyed these therapists before the seminar and we've asked them like, what feelings come up for you? What, what are your worries about talking about sex with couples? And, uh, you know, and both Sylvina and I have, have been in this place. So we have great empathy and compassion for these feelings, you know, but terror is often struck in the therapist, you know, about bringing up sex. And I want to acknowledge this isn't true for everyone. There's a small percentage of therapists who have always reported, you know, I had great training in grad school or I took sex therapy classes after grad school and I've done a lot of work and I'm really ready to do this. So this isn't true for everybody. But for about 70% of the therapists that we've informally surveyed, people say, this strikes terror in my heart. And it's about what if I don't know enough to help them? You know, what if they're really embarrassed? The couple is really embarrassed. What if I get really embarrassed and they can see it? You know, what if I get turned on from what they're talking about? What if they get turned on from what they're talking about? 
you know, what if, um, you know, it's, it's something that can't be helped. Uh, aren't I just opening a Pandora's box then and there's no solution for it? Like there are so many understandable fears that we therapists have around bringing this topic up. And like any difficult emotional psychological area, um, the more we can open it up to light and air and talk about it and process through some of this stuff, the more those feelings can dissipate. But we do understand that it feels like a huge leap for a lot of therapists to say to a couple on the first or second session, you know, how is your sex life going? And is that something you'd like to be able to talk about here? That feels like a high bridge to jump off of sometimes. Definitely. And sex itself is, is a, you know, it's an uncomfortable topic for many people. You know, it's oftentimes there's, you know, many taboo aspects around it and so on. And, and it's something that, you know, is especially even as therapists, right? It's not like oftentimes we're talking about our own sex life with others outside of our own partnership or so on. And, and I know that that's a big aspect of, you know, when, when folks get certified by the American Association of Sexuality Ex Educators, Counselors and Therapists is a process of actually kind of talking about sex and learning about sex and having those conversations and looking at one's own sexual values and assumptions and so on. But you have to really kind of go out of your way to get that training, do that work, do that individual kind of process work, you know, um, beyond just say reading various books and so on and learning more about sex uh, therapy in, in itself. So definitely there's, there's kind of effort and kind of, um, you know, kind of intentionality that needs to be put towards, you know, kind of uh, getting more comfortable talking about sex and going into that realm, particularly with couples. Right. And I think Sylvina mentioned this already, but a lot of folks in graduate school, you know, may have had like a single class on, you know, some quote, sex therapy techniques, you know, how do you deal with erectile dysfunction or how do you deal with, you know, vaginal pain. Um, but we often have not had training on how to really talk with people about the emotions and the fears and the uh, sensitivities and the worries that come up for folks around their sexual relationship. And that is where EFT has really, really given us a very deep foundation to start from because we've gone into these very tender and raw emotional places with couples, just in our training of working with couples around their emotional relational cycles. And so in the end, it wasn't such a big leap to also bring the same process to talking to them about their sexual cycles, because we do conceptualize it that way, that they're just like there is a negative cycle that can happen between a couple emotionally, um, there can also be negative cycles that happen between couples sexually, where their self-protection, self-protective actions have the unintended consequence of pushing away their partner or sending their partner a, a negative message about coming close or getting sexual with me. And so helping couples understand that they may be stuck in that kind of cycle also really takes a lot of burden off the couple, I think, and takes a lot of shame off the couple if they can understand that this isn't that they're broken in a sexual way, but that they've just gotten caught in a bad net and they need to be able to unhook from it and step out. 
I don't know, Sel, if you want to talk a little bit more about that particular aspect of it, like understanding a couple's sexual cycle. I was going to think even a, a little example might be really nice too. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, and maybe I can back up just even a little bit more for a moment and just talk about, um, you know, when we talk about the behavioral systems in a relationship, and, and I'll get to the sexual cycle in just a moment. But when we talk about the behavioral systems in a relationship, you know, we have the attachment system, we have the caregiving system, and then we have the sexual system. And all of them are separate and distinct, but they inform one another, right? And one of the things that we are set up with in EFT that sets us up beautifully <laughs> is to recognize that attachment is the primary need, first and foremost, right? And that those attachment realities shape the other aspects of a love relationship. So we look at sexual functioning within the context of the relational issues. And this is a bit what Lisa was speaking to. And so the quality of our attachments and our emotional connections uh, with our partner begins to shape how we show up sexually with one another. So if we are securely attached to our partner, um, we are more able to relax into our bodies, right? We're not always looking kind of for danger and, and we're not always finding the litmus test for our safety and uh, acceptance in the relationship. So we can relax into our bodies. We can tune into our bodies. It frees up our resources to tune into our partners. We can be more expressive sexually. When we feel safe, we can take more risks. We can be more playful um, and we can be more connected then. So that's where a, in a securely attached relationship, sex can be a really pleasurable and powerful way to bond. And the more securely attached we feel, the more likely we are to have fulfilling sexual encounters and the more fulfilling sexual encounters we have with our partner, the more bonded we feel. So it starts to go hand in hand into these beautiful bonding spirals that are very positive and strengthening. <clears throat> However, as uh, we were just saying that if we are uncertain with our partners, if we're suddenly questioning, are we wanted? Are we desired? Um, am I loved? Am I attractive? Um, if I reach for you for sexual contact and play and you're not interested, what is that? We start to make meaning of our partner's responses to us, right? We are meaning-making machines. And this is how the relational cycle and the emotional cycle goes right up into the bedroom. So an example then of how we would start to track and make sense of a couple's sexual cycle is by asking a little bit. So let's let's talk a little bit about what it looks like when, um, when uh, you tried the last time one of you really tried to be sexual with the other person. And um, you know, I'll give an example. I had a couple where, you know, they said, "Well, actually, we haven't had a sex in a in a very very long time." And we want to be more engaged sexually, but we just don't know how to bridge the gap. Like, okay, well, tell me a little bit. What does it look like um, between the two of you when one of you has a sexual inclination when you want to be with your partner? And um, I'll give an example of a heterosexual couple that I worked with. I'm just going to make up some names. Um, I'll, I'll call them John and Mary, <laughs> where uh, John said, um, yes, well, you know, I saw Mary and she began to undress at, uh, for, for bed. 
And I, I just had to look away. I had to look away and I started to watch TV and I asked, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And he started to say, I can't let myself look at her. I don't want to look at her because she's so beautiful. And if I find myself really letting myself want her, I know she's just going to reject me. She's not going to be interested in me. So I want to avoid that. And I'm just going to turn on the TV and watch the game. And I'm not even going to look at her. Mary, on the other hand, sees John turning away as she's getting undressed. And what does she start to tell herself? He must think I'm hideous. My body has changed so much since we had children. I don't think he wants me anymore. He doesn't even look at me. So you know what? I'm actually just going to go into the bathroom and change over there because this is too painful to feel like my husband doesn't even want me anymore. He can't even stand to look at me. Right. And so she's pulling away. He's pulling away. And they're ascribing a certain narrative that has taken hold of the relationship. And that narrative is saying on his side of the street, she doesn't want me anymore. She's just going to reject me. Better shut this down. Don't even try. Look away, look away. And her narrative is, I better pull away. I am just hideous. He doesn't want me. And now this chasm starts to develop over time. Yeah. And you both partners are, are wanting to be connected. They're longing for each other, but they're both fearful of being hurt. And so they end up getting into that cycle and totally missing each other. Absolutely. And that's the tragedy of it, right? So we make that explicit and we begin to have couples begin to acknowledge what's happening underneath the surface with what looks like rejection, right? It's actually a self-protective strategy of not wanting to be hurt, right? Now, I want to kind of uh, mention something that connected to what you were saying about when we have that secure attachment, we can be playful, we can be open, we can feel safe, and we can have better sex. And I think that, you know, part that I think there's a bit of confusion. And, and also, I love, you know, uh, Esther Perel's got some great work, but there's also some aspects that I think a little bit differently about it, right? In the beginning of a relationship, when we don't have that secure attachment, we've got all that kind of oxytocin and so on kind of in there in the beginning and the passion. So even though we don't have that secure attachment, we might have some passionate sex and so on. But later on in the relationship, as the couples feel more secure, sometimes they also become a bit more avoidant. And just like this couple, right? They're, they're, they may get along well, they might parent well, they might like be a ha quote unquote happy couple, but they might be avoiding talking about this because they don't want to feel hurt or so on. So there's that distance, which then leads to not having a very good sex life. So it's not necessarily because they're, they have a secure, close relationship that they're not having good sex. It's more that they get along well, but they're not necessarily actually connected um, in the way that we would think in EFT. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's actually one of the reasons why sometimes doing a course, a good course of couples therapy and the couple is feeling better and more connected emotionally doesn't always translate into feeling more connected sexually, that there are often more um, considerations and concerns that have to be unearthed and brought to light to understand what has shut down the sexual system. Mm -hmm. Because as you're saying, there's a lot, you know, relation, the sexual relationship in a couple's, you know, life cycle 
can really change a number of times, you know, from courtship to after commitment to after children to after injuries or illnesses to after menopause. You know, there are many, many transition points in a couple's sexual relationship. And part of what really um, is, you know, sort of calls upon couples to be able to deal with each one of these changing developmental places is to really have this ability to feel safe and connected with each other in the sexual realm to even be able to talk about these changes, you know, and to talk about the different things that they need in this different part. So for example, you know, it's a very common um, experience that a lot of young moms after childbirth, after nursing babies, having toddlers crawling all over them all day, you know, need a different kind of sexual experience than they maybe did before kids. Because now they're, you know, as there's kind of a common parlance term that moms can get very touched out mm -hmm. when they have little kids, you know, on them all day, literally hanging on their body all day. And so sometimes, for example, for example, a mom might need a different kind of way of relaxing into sexuality where she's not feeling like somebody else is just demanding more of me physically. And so to be able to talk about that, which requires such sensitivity and trust and openness and vulnerability and lack of shame, you know, to talk about how one's needs are changing and what one might need differently. And for the partner to be able to hear all this and really understand it and not take it in as some rejection, you know, of the partner, but to just understand this is a change, we're going through a shift here, like all of that kind of renegotiation can be so hard to do. And that's where, you know, sometimes EFT can come in and really help the couple access more vulnerably to be able to talk about what they need and dispel the narratives that are getting formed kind of in the way that Sylvina was describing, you know, each person is always making sense of what they see their partner doing but sometimes the narrative they're creating is not the right one, it's not the accurate one. So dispelling those narratives and giving them a chance to really say, oh, so you know, what you're saying you need, honey, now that the kids are all over you all day is like, first you need a bath and then maybe you need a little bit of massage just to relax and to feel like you can receive something first. I can do that for you, okay. You know, you're saying that makes you feel more open and receptive. That's wonderful. I can do that for you. You know, so this requires a lot of negotiation. <laughs> and, the, and this is kind of even part to one thing that I've walked away from your training. I, I got the book, Come As You Are by uh, Nagoski. Mm -hmm. And uh, she talks about that there's the gas or the things that are kind of turning up the desire or libido or so on. But oftentimes what's neglected is the break and that our you know, uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system, you know, is going to shut down our sexual responses. So like this parent that you're talking about, you know, ne maybe needing some of that downtime to kind of shift, you know, out of that into more of a relaxed state. And again, being able to do that through their couple relationship, you know, just being so important. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Absolutely. I was just going to um, piggyback, Keith, on what you were saying that um, when we do look at desire, right, um, we are, we very much um, have been influenced by Nagotsky's work, uh, come as in, it's detailed more in the book, Come As You Are. 
And when we look at, you know, there's our, there are accelerators, the turn-ons, right? And then the brakes, the turn-offs, and it's this balance of having the right ons with, uh, you know, less offs. Um, and, uh, you know, to go fully in depth of that would be kind of beyond the scope of our conversation today, but kind of bringing it back to the relational, if a couple is in emotional distress, that will slam on the brakes for the most part that will slam on the brakes or activate some attachment strategies that show up in the bedroom, right? So attachment strategies being shut down, shut down wanting sex, shut down the sexual system, which is what was going on um, in some of the couple, the couple example that I gave you a few moments ago, or hyperactivate the sexual system, right? Seek out a lot of sexual contact for some reassurance. Right, so that's another way that attachment strategies show up in the bedroom through hypoactivation or hyperactivation of sexual seeking or sexual shutting down that informs the sexual cycle, the negative sexual cycle that we try to make explicit for couples. So now they can recognize that and start to shift that. Mm-hmm. One of the um, sort of historical pitfalls in uh, more kind of traditional straight up sex therapy without the relational component is couples will begin to do some behavioral exercises and jump in to start touching one another with total neglect of the emotional realities that um, have actually caused them to become so distant or fraught sexually. And so they end up quote unquote failing the exercises. And so we have so many couples coming to us saying, yeah, well, we tried Sensate Focus or we tried seeing a sex therapist, but it didn't work like, well, of course, of course it didn't work because your emotional realities will hijack you every time. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to put that in the mix as well. Definitely. There's a good example that comes to mind um, for just what you're saying right now, if I can share that. Um, There was a middle-aged couple I was working with, heterosexual couple, and they had a history of a very good sexual relationship they came in to therapy because there had been some really, really challenging issues around parenting that they were working through and we had done good work and they were feeling much more connected emotionally. And it was at that point that they felt safer to bring in some of the sexual issues that they were dealing with more recently. And the, the man in the couple had had a few instances of losing his erection. And this, they did not have a history of being able to talk with each other much about sex and sexuality. So when this happened, it was kind of a full shutdown experience for both of them. And they weren't able at the time to talk about it, but each sure made a lot of meaning of it. Mm -hmm. So the wife believed kind of like in the example Selena shared before that this must be that my husband is no longer attracted to me. I'm middle-aged, I've put on a few pounds, I look so different. Maybe this is not, you know, maybe we've been together a long time. Maybe there's just not a lot of attraction left. So she took very, very personally, if you will, that he was having these um, erectile issues. And as a result, she really, really withdrew and did not want to initiate anything with him or be receptive to anything with him. He was filled with shame and anxiety around the fact that he was having trouble keeping his erection. 
And when he would send small little, you know, trial balloons over to his wife to see if she might be interested, if he was, you know, willing to risk trying again, uh, he would just get that shut down wall that she was having to protect herself from this terrible shame that she felt. And they couldn't talk about this. And one of the things that we were able to, you know, open up and discuss in the therapy was what would happen if having a strong erection wasn't a prerequisite for being able to stay connected sexually. You know, that the experience of some loss of erection was really normal in an age-related way for this man and um, for many men. And what if it didn't have to be the be-all and end-all of sex, whether there was a, a strong erection or not? And they had not been able to talk kind of for both of them, like, oh, what are all the many varied possibilities of things we could be doing, even if it doesn't depend on, you know, there being this perfect direction. And that alone, their ability to talk about it and an ability to redefine what does sex mean? What does it have to be? Really, really open things up for them. And mm. they were able to sort of start the flow again with that because it, you know, there was still the question of, the, you know, the man wanted to work on his erectile issues and that's absolutely valid and we could continue to work on it, but it did not mean that they had to absolutely shut down sex. And the wife was able to hear that this had nothing to do with her desirability to her partner. And, you know, they both were able to sort of turn on the faucets again, turn on the flow again. Yeah. And it, there was a model that you had talked about in your training about kind of enjoyment at different kind of levels of sex rather than only, you know, sex is only enjoyable if we orgasm. And I forget exactly what the model was called. Um, do you recall at all? Yeah, I think what you're referring to comes out of some work that has been done in the last couple of decades on models that further extend and expand what Masters and Johnson originally created in the 60s, which was kind of a four-step model that, you know, predicted that this is exactly how excitement goes and then peaks and then, you know, there's this relaxation response afterward. And there have been some female researchers who have brought in some other approaches to sexuality, much less orgasm focused. And um, have, have uh, so like Besson is one of them and I'm at the moment blanking on the other one, but they have um, added in other elements of sexual response, like a willingness to be receptive to some stimulation and to see if desire comes. Like mm -hmm. desire does not have to precede any sexual activity. Like I have to be turned on in order to start something. No, that actually- uh, Receptive desire, I think it was called. Yes, responsive desire. Responsive, that's it, yes. Right, that it's kind of like, um, you know, a little bit like your shower that when you first turn the shower on, the water might be running cold, but if you can wait a few minutes, it gets hot, right? So it's kind of a similar idea that particularly for a lot of women, but I also want to say for a number of men and particularly for men in their maybe middle age and later years, the sexual response isn't as immediate anymore, you know, in a millisecond and sometimes takes a little playfulness, a little seduction, a little fooling around for the desire to fully show up. 
And so that was one of the revolutionary concepts of these new models of sexuality. And the other one that I think you're referring to, Keith, is that sex does not have to be solely for the purpose of orgasm, that it can be for pleasure, it can be for connection, it can be for closeness, it could be for sensuality, that there are lots of reasons to engage sexually. And whether there's orgasm or not is not the defining feature of sex. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of the things like in our workshops that we do with couples, because we have workshops for professionals and workshops for couples, we help couples write their own definition for what is successful sex. And it does not just have to be, you know, intercourse and orgasm. There, there's a much broader range that it could be. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I was just pulling up your PowerPoint. I think it was called uh, Lulin's Lulin's female response cycle. Yes. Thank you for helping my memory. Yes. And and to talk, actually, if we go back to that couple that you were talking about and, you know, how oftentimes after the birth of the first child that the the females experience kind of changes around needs and so on. um, You know, it also makes me think about particularly in heterosexual kind of gender normative couples that oftentimes many men, you know, are getting that validation that my partner, you know, uh, likes me, is attracted to me, and so on through their sexual relationship. They may not necessarily do that as verbally through talking, um, you know, to the other about, you know, do you still care about me or do you still love me or so on. Sometimes they might initiate sex and then oftentimes for their partner, they may feel like, oh, this isn't about me. They just want to get off. It's not about being connected to me or desiring me. I'm just a means to an end. And so oftentimes that can kind of be part of the cycle, you know, for couples and particularly, I mean, again, this transition to parenthood is such a significant period of time. You know, um, uh, some research that said couple, 81% of couples go into a crisis after the birth of the first child or the Gottman research found that 68% of couples, you know, decrease in their relationship satisfaction. Um, but I think that that aspect sometimes is so missed because again, like you're saying, it's about attachment, it's about communication. And oftentimes, particularly for men, they have a harder time kind of talking about that vulnerable kind of need for connection or that longing. And, and oftentimes the men are more typically the withdrawer and the EFT cycle that we, we oftentimes find. And so helping engage them and talk about kind of some of those more vulnerable emotions is kind of a pathway too. Absolutely. I really appreciate what you're bringing up here, Keith. And, um, you know, oftentimes, particularly with men, um, but but again, I, I will I will expand that to not not just men. Is that oftentimes that's the only sort of socially sanctioned way to get connection, closeness, and comfort? That to be able to say, "Hey, I'm really missing you," or "I just want to be close to you," has not necessarily been supported <laughs> for men to, in particular. Um, but I, but again, I really do want to extend that because it's a vulnerable thing to say, "I need you." for men and for women, or however however you identify. I don't wanna just um, be so binary in that. Yes, definitely. Uh, so uh, it, it is an important, the physical is an important channel where we seek reassurance, where we seek connection, where we seek comfort. And in our work with couples, we help put some words to what's underneath that seeking, right? And, and to open that up and to see also what gets in the way of talking about it. So I appreciate what you're, what you're putting words to here. Mm-hmm. And, and just to expand on that a tiny bit, 
um, Keith, I work with a lot of gay and lesbian couples. So, so in a same gender relationship, um, still that dynamic can exist. That mm -hmm. one person, regardless of their gender, is, is more used to seeking that closeness and contact through the physical realm. And the other one might be more through an you know, emotional, verbal realm. Um, and that it can be so incredibly vulnerable to say, I, I want to be held. You know, and it may be that sex is the only way that that's been understood as acceptable, as Selena was saying. So it really it spans all couples yeah. <laughs> that struggle yeah. with this. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Same sex couples also kind of experience that withdrawal or pursuer dynamic. Um, I'm aware that in our examples, we, we gave two heterosexual you know, yeah. normative examples, but it transcends gender identity and um, pairings. Really, yeah, definitely. And I think one one last aspect I think that's always important too that you know some couples are also coming for sex therapy to kind of enhance their sexual life and and so on. And I think that you know particularly at least for me, um, I heard a talk by Dossie Easton who um, teaches a workshop on cultural competency with uh, BDSM couples bondage, domination, sadomasochism, and so on. And one of the things I was really struck from that training is that, you know, you must again have a, a high level of communication with your partner to really talk about kind of the, you know, these, these kind of non-vanilla kind of type of sexual encounters and so on. And so again, it kind of goes back to that. Do you, can you feel secure? Can you feel that playfulness, that freedom, that safety to be able to ask for what you want and talk about something that might be embarrassing or, bring up shame or taboo or, or, or all these kind of aspects in, in, in couples. Because oftentimes when couples avoid talking about that, they end up having a very narrow sex life rather than kind of opening it up to talk about things that turn them on or that interest them or so on and be able to, to have that connection around that and have a fulfilling sex life. Absolutely. Oh, the, the, the importance of communication that you're highlighting right now is actually why we start our workshop for couples with an exercise that's just on what is it feeling like to be sitting here right now talking about sex? Because so much comes up around that. I mean, you're, you're referencing it, Keith, but there, is, there are so many very, very ingrained societal attitudes about what it means to be talking about sex, what it means to even be a sexual man or a sexual woman. There's a ton of myths that surround it. We start with some myth busting in our workshop. You know, there's so much that just has to be sort of gotten out of the way before we can even get to now let's really communicate with each other. So that is a really big and important aspect of it. And that's why we start there. Absolutely. And when, when couples can communicate clearly, express what their needs are um, and feel a degree of safety, they can take all kinds of risks with one another because now they don't have to worry about so much their safety. <laughs> and then sex can look, take all different kinds of shapes and flavors and um, you know, it's, it, there's not just one, one way, right? So it opens it up um, mm. to much more playful, risky, risk-taking, however it, it fits for the couple to be able to explore. But it starts with that, that communication and that safe foundation. Yeah, definitely. That's a cure attachment. That's right. So can you tell me a little bit about how you integrate touch exercises from sex therapy into the EFT work? 
Well, you know, we, in EFT, we do all this work around the relationship and communication and being able to get really vulnerable and ask for what you need. But when it comes down to, you know, a very embodied experience of sex, we also need the couple to be able to really have a physical experience of touch with their partner. And so we have a whole range of exercises that we do with couples when they're ready for them. And, you know, that that is a significant sort of caveat when they're ready. But when they are ready, you know, we have things that start with something as sort of light as just a holding exercise where the couple is just laying face to face and they're just simply holding each other as an experience of full body contact. And they can do that clothed, unclothed. It can be different ways. But Sometimes couples have gotten so out of practice of just relaxing in the presence of each other's bodies that sometimes we just start with something that basic, like holding. And we have a whole bunch of exercises in between that go all the way up to, you know, full on sexual contact, but sort of in a graduated exposure, if you will, Mm -hmm. often through sensate focus exercises. But the main point being that the couple takes it slow, that they work at the pace that feels right for them, and that as they go home and try out these exercises, they have the opportunity to come back and to really process in the therapy with us, but also, you know, obviously anytime with each other, really what were all the feelings and perceptions and meanings that came up for them. And by leaving that space and taking it slow, that's what really helps couples be able to work through and work out the things Mm -hmm. that get in their way and kind of put them to rest and be able then to move forward into, you know, full and unrestricted pleasure. Sure. So, yeah, so kind of processing, you know, using the EFT to process the experience of those exercises and kind of looking at the cycle or the meaning or kind of the vulnerable feelings that came up to kind of help, you know, kind of deepen that ex- that exercise and kind exactly. of uh, facilitate it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This is great. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to have a chance to talk about this and this kind of integration and, and really kind of put that out to other folks. Um, and I'll, you know, also link on the website, uh, you know, uh, your, your information and information about your trainings for therapists, as well as, um, you know, workshops for couples and so on. Thank you so much for taking time today. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you, you, Keith. Great. We love to talk about sex. So it was lots of fun. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you're wanting to use this podcast to earn continuing education credits, please go to our website at therapyonthecuttingedge.com. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, providing in-person and remote therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area. IAP provides training for licensed clinicians through our in-person and online programs, as well as our treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults. For more information, go to sfiap.com or call 415-617-5932. Also, we really appreciate feedback, and if you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of therapy and think clinicians should know about it, send us an email or call us. We're always looking for the advancements in the field of psychotherapy to help in creating lasting changes for our clients.